What's up, everyone? Here we are with Nick Gregoriadis, and we don't even really know each other yet. We've, you know, had a few communications, but I think we got some shit to talk about. I that's think so, what, too. That's what my instinct is. Yeah. So we're going to figure it out. We don't even know where this is going. We could <laughs> talk about ayahuasca. We could talk about jujitsu. We could talk about whatever. Cool. Let's yeah. do it. Let's do it. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So you were, you were formerly the co-host on London Real. That's right. And also um, received your jujitsu black belt under... Hodger Gracie, uh-huh. and I have a website, Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood, which is definitely something I want to touch on because I think that's something that's, you know, missing in in our society is the ability for people, you know, guys to interact in that kind of way in which you're forging these bonds through through kind of play competition, not play, but it's, you know, competition in this kind of physical is physical interaction that I think is was originally how we were designed to interact with each other mm-hmm. and work out you know differences kind of grow in faith of each other and, and create these bonds that are a little bit deeper than just you know a couple beers over a football game mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that you know and so I think that's something that you can get with jujitsu that's harkens back to a time where you used to train in combat together yeah. or like something like teammates and soldiers get today in, in other sports or maybe go on a hunt with your fellow tribe members yeah exactly and, and just bond over adversity i mean i remember um i told this story many years ago on another podcast but uh you probably enjoyed um i remember i was competing when i was about 24 i was a purple belt and um we were at a, a local i think it was like a state level competition in england and i was fighting a guy from another team that our school had a kind of a rivalry with and uh it was a really tough match and i managed to win at the last possible second and i remember all my teammates came and like they would just hug me and like surround me and i just thought to myself like wow this is what uh tom brady feels like when he scores (laughs) the game winning touchdown whatever it is you know it's like that you know those people i remember forever there was a peak experience and um if we had maybe been sitting or watching a game in a bar Sure, we might have been happy when our team won, but I don't think it would have been that sort of strength no. of an experience, if that makes sense. No, definitely not. Yeah. No, I understand that. I mean, I was there, you know, I've become pretty good friends with TJ Dillashaw, and I was there when he won the title against Henan Barrow. And just even for me, the experiences that I went, you know, I went through watching my friend, you know, achieve something so great, mm-hmm. you know, it's just... I haven't felt like that myself, let alone what he felt like, you know, and then to to go out with him that night and we go into, you know, we're in Vegas and we go into a club and I let the VIP host know that, you know, TJ just won the belt and then the music stops in the club and they announce it and they play this song, the champ is here. And then you got a thousand people in this Vegas club just bouncing up and down and TJ is just glowing. Like if you could see his aura, it just projected, you know, like a (laughs) hundred feet out either way, like a fucking tractor beam, Mm -hmm. you know, because he's just glowing. I mean, it was this, and I saw that actually, I wasn't friends with him at the time, but I saw that too when Forrest Griffin won the belt um i think he beat rampage that night and i ran into him that night and just that kind of feeling is just this Mm. this glow that that's around even though they're beat up you know they're (laughs) fucking tired like something magic happened it's real i mean uh i always say fighting jiu-jitsu combat sports it's it's real and whenever i have it i'm kind of person i have a tendency to get in my own head and like i've got uh you know certain business obligations and relationships and everything and like a lot of it can become uh 
a little bit too cerebral sometimes and that's the one of the main reasons i love jiu-jitsu is it's it's real you know it's just mm. you and the guy wrestling trying to tap each other out and i think uh all men if possible should be doing something like that you know something raw and real and primal and physical because i mean i always say this is a physical realm that we're in you know so you want to be experiencing it as much as possible and these are ways to do it or some ways to do it totally and and the great thing about doing it with jiu-jitsu is because I, I always had more of a striking background and you know jiu-jitsu is something i just kind of picked up along the way as well mm -hmm. and um but with the striking background yeah you can get some of that but then you know as it happened to me you can get your ass kicked like yeah. i did when paul buentello i was sparring with paul buentello who's a former ufc champ uh -huh. i get finished with that sparring so he kicked my ass yeah. i get finished i get out to the parking garage and i'm like where the fuck am i the fuck am i doing yeah. you know like, I, I, I don't want to feel like that like, that's not good that's not healthy that yeah. doesn't bode well for my future brain definitely not and you i mean we're, we are the kind of people who actually need our brains you know what i mean like yeah. with, with our businesses and stuff i remember i was um a few years ago i was i was teaching one morning at, at rogers academy and uh i taught a private lesson and then right after i did some mma sparring with roger and some of the the mma fighters and um I took a whole bunch of shots to the head in that that session and I remember my my private lesson student had paid me like 100 bucks in cash and I was so dizzy like I couldn't find this 100 bucks like I was getting ready to leave and I was like I looked in my wallet and I was like oh, what have I done with 100 bucks I mean <laughs> and I was looking at my trousers and I looking at my bag I couldn't find it and then I was I said to to like Roger I was like dude you know I don't want to say anything weird but you know maybe someone's taking something from the gym and then like I was walking out the door and, and Roger went to throw his soda can away in the in the dustbin and uh, there was a hundred bucks. So I had been so dizzy and concussed, like I'd actually just thrown this hundred bucks away with my soda can from a few minutes before. And that, that's kind of when I realized, mm, maybe this is not the best thing for me, you know. Um, so I know exactly what you mean. Striking, I kind of uh, I put it on the back. Maybe button. that was a reminder for you to stop drinking things that come in soda cans. <laughs> <laughs> it was an organic <laughs> vitamin enriched soda. <laughs> Uh, allegedly allegedly <laughs> allegedly um yeah no no doubt about that mm -hmm. so that's you know you've kind of used jujitsu not as a total end but as a means to fulfilling you know some important things about life and, mm -hmm. and i think that's it's another thing that people sometimes fail to make the connection they look at everything as the ends well what are you doing that for like for example i studied latin in in school you know like useless what are you doing that for like that was the end like i'm gonna go wield latin and and make it some valuable purpose but mm -hmm. that wasn't the point the point was it allowed me to think in a new way it opened up areas of my mind and also gave me a connection to antiquity through you know reading the language that you know these great minds of our past mm -hmm. would write in you know but it was the process for me of doing it that was valuable not the ends and mm -hmm. It is, yeah, jujitsu is a useful thing to know. You never know when you might need to, you know, slap an arm triangle on somebody, yeah. like, who knows? But more than that, it's a vehicle to help, you know, add something to your life. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the way I always look at it is it's, um, it is a very good vehicle, in my opinion, for your own personal evolution because um, when you are having a tough jujitsu match, it draws upon all aspects of you you know you it's not just your body that's getting pushed it's your mind and your spirit you know you're having to like make all these calculations in your head and then you know you might win or you might lose and either way that brings with it a whole set of circumstances that you have to learn to control like if you win 
you don't want to start becoming that douchebag guy who like is super arrogant and if you lose you have to realize that that's part of the game you know and you don't want to get mm -hmm. all down on yourself and like depressed and it's that's the thing i love about it is it's um i don't know if you've read anything i'm sure you, you will have like there's uh I'm not, from, I'm not sure exactly which book it was, but this guy was saying how for a man, he always wants to be as close to his edge as possible because that's where he feels the most alive. Like as soon as you become too comfortable, you know, you start to contract and you start to die in a way. And mm -hmm. I mean, man, I'm 35 years old. Like it's just getting harder and harder. You know, mm -hmm. all the young guys are getting better and better. And sometimes I'll, I'll go to a gym and wrestle with a kid who just, literally like i can't walk properly for two days afterwards and i say to myself <laughs> why do i do this and then i realize it's because it keeps me on my edge you know yeah. and i have to do it um so that is a uh, one of the main reasons i i love jujitsu yeah uh, so what are you going to do when that because there comes a point where you'll probably have to have to hang it up if you thought about what else what other surrogates could you add in that that can help you know mm, get you that that's a very good question and i think I will use this as my ayahuasca segue. Um, <laughs> That'll uh, push you to an edge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, then once the the physical, once I cannot explore like any further with the physical, then I, I'm gonna probably start going even more inside. You know, with things like ayahuasca and uh, DMT. And you've you've tried a bogan, right? I think you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things on my list. I'm a little bit scared of that one, but I want to try that one sooner or later. So. Um, We'll see, yeah. And also, I think you can still, jujitsu, maybe not so much, but, but yoga, you could still, still probably push like sure. well into your 70s and stuff. You know, you could still get a really good physical challenge from that. Sure. So probably the key is that. just to get out of your mind for a little while. Oh. You know, like push your, push your limits, get out of your mind. Because you, you reach that in yoga. I mean, it's more, it's more visceral maybe in, in jujitsu. But there, there'll be that point where you're holding and breathing into a pose and every fucking part of your body is just like, man, just go, just go, yeah. just go to child's pose, man. Yeah. It's cool, it's cool. Nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna talk shit. You know, now's a good time for water. You yeah, know, just just like, stare at the chick's ass in front of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, you don't really need to, you don't really need to plant your heel and stretch, yeah. you know? And you constantly have those moments where you can make choices, mm -hmm. you know? And so I, I agree. I think that's a great venue to continue to, to push your edge and of course on the on the medicine front i mean that's you know you got to go into those things mm -hmm. saying you know today is a good day to die like you got to mm -hmm. go in not holding anything back and just being ready to receive whatever the medicine mm -hmm. brings yeah you know one thing i am um, i always reference it when uh whenever i'm in it, about to do an ayahuasca ceremony is i think it was um you were on it on Joe Rogan's show and you were discussing your ayahuasca journey. I, I listened to it a few times before I actually started going down the ayahuasca path. And on your second or third night, you said to the shaman, um, por favor, medicina fuerte. Yeah. And I was just thinking to myself, like, I have never asked the shaman that, dude. I've done ayahuasca like 10 or 12 times and I've never even considered doing that. So, I mean, what was going through your mind when you, when you said that? I mean, why would you want it to be stronger than it, it usually is? <laughs> um well i don't know i think at that point at that point i was you know there's this almost uh there's this almost naive courage that you have at the start of things mm -hmm. you know and i really i wanted to i wanted to find my edge i wanted to push it to the point where it was no longer comfortable okay you know and, and the first none of it was that comfortable it always found my edge but i was like there's some deeper, deeper levels. And actually, 
I had I didn't find that until my last session a, a couple months ago, and okay. I'm still recovering yeah. from that one. Like that one, <laughs> that one brought me to that point. And I yeah. didn't have to ask for stronger medicine. That was all fucking dialed in. But that one brought me to the point where it was the very edge of edges. Yeah. You know, it was the very bottom yeah. point. <laughs> I said to my my girlfriend after the my last one was a couple of months ago as well, and um, I was doing it on a Saturday night, and I said to her, I'll call you in the morning and. <laughs> my girlfriend was in the states i was in england at the time and um the next morning i called her and and i was kind of like i couldn't really even speak you know and then she was like what happened what happened and i just said to her i drank from the knowledge oh wait i i ate the fruit from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil and that's all i could say <laughs> she couldn't say anything else because it had taken me to that point where you know when it's as, as you said i'm still recovering it's so intense yeah. um what did you see last time i'm very interested to to hear yeah, that was, it was a very personal journey. Like the first one I talked to, and I've told this story on here, so I'll just cover it briefly, but I talked to the spirits of many different animals and different sources, actual source itself and Mother Earth and, and a bunch of different animals from mosquitoes to bear to all of these different things. I have to listen to that. So the first session I was like, oh yeah, this is great. I'm talking <laughs> to spirits, things are good. Um, and then the next three just broke me down to deeper and deeper levels where I started tracking different elements of myself that are, you know, the last real hurdles to becoming and actualizing what my potential is until the very last point, it broke me down to the nothing of nothings. You know, it took me to that very last level where I was at, not only was I going to die, but it didn't matter. Ayahuasca told me that. I was water borrowed from the ocean and the ocean forgot. Not only was it just part of something that was so vast you can't even measure it, but didn't even remember that it gave it to me. It was like, you're nothing. And I, and I was at that point, from there, you know, it's been a building up. It built me, me up the first levels, you know, from, in that session. And because uh, that, that was it, you know, I was at that point where, you know, I just started to weep. I was like, I'm, I'm nothing. And then it, from there, it showed me that I was at least willing to fight for what is okay. just, and then I was willing to be fair. And those were like the one, the two pieces that it gave me, and the rest in the last three months have just been adding on Interesting. to those pieces. And I'm still, <laughs> I'm still not back to yeah. even, even. But I know that once I get to even, I'll just keep climbing well, because I've like excavated the foundation. Okay. You, you know, know, every time I do ayahuasca, the next morning I say to myself, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> and then I hear a story like that, and I start thinking, hmm. Maybe a couple more times, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I wanted to ask you, um, Aubrey, uh, you wrote an article um, several years ago about your experience with Iboga, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And um, at that time, I didn't, I don't think I had enough reference points to fully understand what you were describing, but you discussed something um, that you were showing different aspects of yourself, and one of them was called Mud Boy. Do you remember Mud that? Mud Body. Mud body, that was it. And that Mind was, boy, mud body, and my true self, yeah. Yes, okay. Now, my, uh, mud body was kind of like the lower, more primal aspects yeah. of yourself. It's the monkey. The monkey. You know, it's, okay. those, it's those instincts. What is the monkey like? Well, the monkey likes puzzles. He likes to fuck. He likes to fight. He likes to eat. You know, he likes, it's just the very base, you know, desires of this primate that we've carried on through evolution and that we have you know, carrying in our body. Okay. And now being aware that that is a specific compartmentalized part of yourself, are you more able to control what mud body is trying to force you to do or trying to get you to engage in? Sure. Yeah. And, and there's been subsequent work on that 
<clears throat> on that topic, the, the, the piece of awareness that I think is crucial, because everybody kind of knows like, oh yeah, I'm having these urges or whatever. But the thing that's really helped me a lot is with the stuff that's a little bit more subtle, like the physical stress. Like imagine when you're under stress mm-hmm. and, and you're feeling anxious or something like that. I'm actually able to see like remove yourself from that from that body and be like oh look you know mud body is stressed Mm -hmm. you know notice notice how his heart rate is a little bit high notice how his muscles are tense Mm -hmm. you know let him know he should relax and then so i can use those other parts of my mind my higher self to say hey body relax it's going to be okay like you're going to be all right or i'll catch myself when i'm in this mode where sometimes you know towards the end of a meal for whatever reason i'll get real aggressive and like packing in more food and not thinking about it becoming unconscious or whatever i'll say hey 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 you know settle down settle Mm -hmm. down body you got you're gonna get plenty of food chew it you know relax and so i've been able to kind of separate myself and say you know body chill out okay you're gonna be all right it's like um i think it's the the buddhists who say it's one of my very favorite um concepts and understands understandings is that um between stimuli and your response is a window of time and in that window lies your power Mm-hmm. So the wider you can make that window, the more powerful you are. Yeah. Um, and it comes another way it's it's said often is that um, someone who's in control of himself responds as opposed to reacts. And the difference being that a, a reaction is almost an unconscious um, way to deal with something. Like so someone punches you and you react by getting mad and punching him back. Whereas like maybe a, a trained martial artist would respond and like he'd be in that window for a longer period of time. And you could say he's hitting him the right response or is like right. taking him down the right response or is running away the right response it's reclaiming your free will yes yeah. yes interesting and free will is this it's this slippery dynamic thing you know and, and I, that was another thing that the wachuma medicine actually taught me the most was that you know only at the point of fearlessness do you have full full free will when nothing when you're at literally afraid of nothing because fear will push and prod you in in a, in a variety of different ways it'll cause actions to avoid it and to avoid situations mm-hmm. that uh, aren't fully free will. It isn't just you choosing, it's you reacting to your fear. So getting to that point of fearlessness is the point where you have full free will. Now, mm-hmm. I believe you have varying degrees of it on down the line. There's always, sometimes it's a small amount and sometimes it can be a big amount, but the more you can expand that, the more you'll be able to choose mm-hmm. what you wanna bring into your life. Is is there, would you say that there are certain aspects of your life where you are further developed in, in that and let and other um, parts of your life where you're less developed in that? Like I'm guessing in business, you're probably quite close to fearless now, but in, I don't know, jujitsu or, or striking, you're probably mm-hmm. not yet at that point. Sure. Well, it's funny because, you know, I don't, I don't have anything to defend in my jujitsu or striking. I don't think that I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know, so so the fear is the fear is more actual just danger, you know, like danger exists, you know, and the danger is that someone might hit me. So that exists. But that's not that's not fear. That's just a recognition of a superior force or, mm-hmm. or something like that. The areas that are tough are, are the attachments, I think, you know, it's like being attached to everything, being attached to my health. That's a tough one. Right. Being attached to my physical health. So the fear of not being healthy either mm. getting sick or getting injured yeah, or something like that as well. right so that in itself carries a fear that is very difficult for me to overcome 
you know so like if i start to feel myself getting a cold or something like that i'd I'd like kind of freak out a little bit you know whereas ultimately if i was able to master that it'd be like that's okay i've been you know i've gotten a cold before Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna be all right and that that fear of not being well i will have worked through um you know something like to use those other examples yeah like jujitsu or striking i know i'm not that good so Mm -hmm. i don't i'm not defending anything you know and i think it's when you have something to defend that's when Mm-hmm. or something you're attached to you know when your ego's involved or your attachments involved that's when fear really wreaks the most havoc uh-huh. okay i'd never really thought about it that way interesting okay next thing mm-hmm. this is something that's i've had loaded in my mind to ask you for many many months <laughs> great um this is great i like this, this is like, <laughs> you're doing the heavy lifting now now i can just relax and respond to questions <laughs> so uh uh, I think I either am friends with you on Facebook or I follow you or something like that, but I get some of your stuff on my Facebook stream and it's pretty clear that you have dated some really beautiful women, mm. right? That's become very clear to me. <laughs> um, now, you, do you have a girlfriend at the moment, a steady girlfriend or... That, now these are complicated questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I was going to ask you these complicated questions. questions. Yeah, there's, there's, somebody that I'm, there's somebody that I'm seeing pretty... Okay pretty seriously i guess uh the root of my question or the, the the question i ultimately want answered from you is and at the risk of uh i'm really not trying to big you up here it's just a, it's something i really need clarity sure, on for my own for life um you're a guy with options mm-hmm. it's and i mean how do you how do you rationalize all those options with the idea of having a steady girlfriend and being monogamous like how do you because I'm going to be straight up. It's been the battle of my adult life mm-hmm. and I'm always looking for more clarity on it. I mean, one of my questions is, is it even a natural state? Is it even something I should be trying to get to? Or I don't know. What is your, I'd love your. All right. So I have a very clear understanding of the ideal state. I don't think that, I don't think that the idea of monogamy as it stands is, is the most conscious way to live. I think in the most conscious way to live, it'd be like, to me, making love can be as simple an interaction as getting a massage, you know, like, and most people would say, oh yeah, you can get a massage from whoever you want. You know, they're not gonna mm-hmm. worry about that. You know, if someone wants to rub your back, cool. You know, if someone wants to, you know, scratch the top of your head, cool. <laughs> you know, that's fine. It's not, shouldn't be, I am the one provider of all head scratches and, yeah. and back rubs in the world. Only come to me if you ever, even if you're not even around me, you know, if you're away in another part of the country and you want to get your head scratched, don't even fucking think about it. Just wait till you come home to me because I am the designated head scratcher. That doesn't make any sense to me. And, and I really believe that, you know, ultimately the most conscious way to be is to, you know, whatever fosters more love, more goodwill, more positivity, you know, one of the one of the problems is is that these systems also create varying degrees of deception because everybody in these relationships you know they all are lying to themselves and to other people trying to deny what are the natural feelings that mud body or that you know primate they're feeling mm-hmm. you know so they pretend that those things don't exist which creates this border of deception even if it's unspoken deception between this person that you're supposed to be as close to as possible mm-hmm. so in an ideal situation with two perfectly conscious people, I think you make whatever agreement you want, but it would allow for, you know, situations where, you know, that weren't following the traditional monogamy. So, again, I, to me, that makes a lot of sense. I've had similar thoughts, but 
a question I how to I'm, how to make that practical because I've just been talking <laughs> ideals. Practical yeah, yeah. becomes more challenging. So I mean, why do you think then that we have these neurological jealousy circuits? If I think they're learned, they're learned. Interesting. Okay, could could you explain why you? Well, I think you know if you look at if you read um, Dr. Chris Ryan's book Sex at Dawn, and then you look at some of the examples of existing tribal cultures. I talked to this guy Jimmy Nelson, who made this amazing book before they pass away. Uh, I can't think of the name of the tribe off the top of my head, mm -hmm. but they have a custom where the they leave one, you know, it's a it's a herding tribe. And so the tribe goes out and they have to go for many weeks because there's sparse grassland to take the herds around to feed them mm -hmm. on these regular circuits. And they leave behind one man. And that man's responsibility is to sexually pleasure and service all of the women that are left behind. And everybody's just on a rotation. And that's the way that culture is. And that's how they feel. You know, in the Eskimo culture, it's a tradition for any visitors who come to sleep with the chief's wife, you know, and that's the that's the Eskimo tradition there. And that's part of their culture. So they don't feel that jealousy. Mm -hmm. But I think in our society, because of those, you know, kind of monogamous ideals that have been reinforced in songs and movies and stories mm -hmm. and told to use from a child and, you know, putting on a pedestal this moment of marriage and this celebration where everybody comes together to celebrate you and all of these things that are built in mm -hmm. it's a learned behavior you know it starts to become an attachment to our ego mm -hmm. and so when that's threatened you know it's really not it's really threatening you know what we feel about mm -hmm. ourselves you know if your girl wants to sleep with some other man it means you're not man enough which mm -hmm. hurts your ego yeah and that's what you feel like is jealousy but it's really your ego getting hurt yeah. and then on the other side if your man is looking for some other woman it's because you're not attractive enough and you're not sexy enough and you're not spicing it up enough in bed like cosmo will tell you you know like put on a wig no motherfucker it's not gonna <laughs> help you know like that's not that it's not the issue you know so i think that's it I, I really believe that that's largely a learned behavior but it's deeply ingrained and patterned and mm -hmm. it's difficult it's difficult to to overcome um, do you think that perhaps the fact that that pattern has been ingrained has allowed the Western uh, Judeo-Christian, <clears throat> well, the dominant culture on this planet to accelerate so quickly because it's created reasonably stable family units, which have created a reasonably stable workforce that have allowed us to accelerate our technological and scientific progress? Well, there's a lot to that question you know is <laughs> is the scientific and technological progress is it a good thing or is yeah. it not a good thing you know i mean i think there's there's obviously some benefits to it you know but there's also there's a lot of people suffering you know mm. and and a lot of the other things that have come in through that um you know that that kind of ideal this be fruitful and multiply kind of kind of concept mm -hmm. where the idea is just to willy-nilly have as many children as possible well uh, eventually we're gonna out people our resources you know and having a lot more conscious way to decide that and not i think would be a much better outcome overall um but yeah i think we got off course and i think religion i think the the major monotheistic desert religion played a played a large part in that and i think you read a book like one of my favorite books right now i haven't had a chance to write a review it's a book called the fifth sacred thing and i'm a huge fan of utopian novels in general okay. my other previous favorite book was aldous huxley's island but the fifth sacred thing is a phenomenal work and it really shows this clash from a perfectly ideal you know post-apocalyptic society coming in contact with the you know non-ideal um 
society and the dystopic society and the, just the kind of clash of ideals. But for me, the ideal way to live really represents what what was in that book. And it, it shows you a different way. I mean, people are naturally going to form affinities, mm-hmm. you know, and they'll form pair bonds that are deeper than the other pair bonds around them. I think that's natural. And mm-hmm. I don't think that should be, you know, opposed. And I think some of the other alternative systems don't necessarily accommodate for that that well either. They try to, they have their own rigid guidelines mm-hmm. and boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can keep all of that fluid, but just be conscious and love the person you're with wholly and keep no barriers, mm-hmm. you know? And I think if I'm giving advice to people, I think the most important thing is, is you can make restrictions on restricting what your body can do is I think the easiest, I think that's the easiest level to shut off. Mm-hmm. But where it gets really toxic is when you're restricting the freedom for, of your mind, you know, to romp and, and actually be honest with the other person. You see, like, I have a slightly differing opinion. Um, and for me, it is actually the hardest thing is the the control of the mind because, you know, I'll see a beautiful woman and then it will start a cascade of thoughts. And those that cascade of thoughts I know is if I were, like, in the, in the past when I've been with a girlfriend and I've, like, I've cheated on her, right? It's because... Looking back, it's because I didn't have the mental strength to snip off the root thought. You know, I'd see a beautiful woman and then I'd think to myself, wow, she's really cool. And then I'd think to myself, go chat to her. And, you know, if I just snipped it off and been like, she's beautiful, get on with your day, go do what you have to do. You know, I I could have avoided those situations. So for me, I kind of feel that um, the control of the mind is the most important aspect um, when it comes to that. But... um, yeah, I, and I, I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying in a relationship, if you're going to have a relationship, you, you're going to have to set a boundary at some point, right? In an ideal situation, maybe you don't. Maybe you just love and appreciate each other for, for whatever that is. But mm-hmm. for me, it's, it would be if I was you know, going to get in that you know, a traditional relationship, I would want it to be very clear that I don't want to have to lie about what my natural urges are. I can mm-hmm. stop them. You know? I can tell you, look, I'm not going to have sex with anybody, but I'm not going to play this game of pretending, you know, yeah. like if we're going to be the closest two people in the world, I don't want to be telling my buddies, you know, one thing, you know, that's what, that's what this game that everybody plays. They go out, you go out with your girlfriends and you talk more openly than you do with the person that you're living yeah, with. Yeah. Like if you're going to have that bond, you better be as close with that person as anybody, yeah. you know, otherwise just fuck it. Yeah. What's the point? What's the point? Yeah. You know, like if you're supposed to be, the, you know, this this really closely connected pair bond, but you're really kind of lying to each other half the time. Mm-hmm. And then you go out with your buddies and you tell the truth and she goes out with her girlfriends and she tells the truth then, mm-hmm. you know, that's bullshit, you know? But so for me, that's what I'm talking about. But as far as like actually controlling the behavior, yeah, of course, it's all the mind. Yeah. And I think the key is then is to realize what is it that, you know, what what is it that you're really going after? Because if you reduce the sexual act to some friction and actually look at the sexual act as it is, mm-hmm it's usually never as as good as you think it the fantasy is always better than the reality and the chase and all of this other stuff so what is all of that what is all of that really getting at like dissect it you know like what are you actually going for is it some kind of validation something to yourself is it is it the the thrill of it is it like a fishing expedition you know like are my lures shiny enough to to, you know to pull the pull in this marlin you know and like oh look that looks like a record marlin there i wonder if my lures that i've been honing are that strong you know is that the element and is and what is that all about you know is that really worth is that really worth pursuing or is it have you uh done this this 
process with yourself have you figured out and what did you distill it down to i've gotten and it wasn't always this way there was a period of, there's <laughs> there's a period in my life where there was some chest pounding that needed to happen mm -hmm. some kind of you know assertion of my virility of my capability to, and and i had that period you know leading up to you know my late 20s my late 20s was kind of a wild wild period even you know before i even started on it and that was there were moments there with a lot of beautiful women and um where i was really just doing it and i could tell to just kind of pound my chest and roar into the blackness mm -hmm. of the night you mm -hmm. know um, and i've really been able to to move past that and the the challenging part for me is now just the restriction of the kind of closeness of relationship that you can get with the opposite sex once those barriers of sexual attraction have been worn down you know the, the sex is fun and is is always nice as well mm -hmm. but what i think is the heart would is and will be the hardest part for me is when you form those intimate bonds you get to go in deeper with another person you know like with a guy you know if you've rolled with him 50 times and you know, you get to know that dude a little better. Yeah, let's maybe been not, battles, let's use right? another analogy just, right. just, for, <laughs> just for the But if you've, if you've, you know, been with a girl in that same way, in that, in, you know, in an intimate way, sexually with them, I mean, because obviously fighting with them is not really going to scratch it. Mm -hmm. um, different elements, one sexual, one's not. But you break down these walls and these barriers that at that point you get to know that person, you get to interact mm -hmm. and on a more, on almost like a more soul level, you mm -hmm. get to dance in a way that I think to me is, is the hardest part to divorce. So, so, the act, so the act of sex is almost like something you do to allow the walls to break down so that that vulnerability can be there and you can get to know people in a that's very interesting a closer way i appreciate that thank you that's that's very interesting <laughs> yeah yeah for sure cool. man it's look everybody as you know you can ask everybody deals with this issue you know but very few people talk about it publicly because everybody's in the closet you know yeah. if there's one thing everybody's in the closet people are way more likely to talk about ayahuasca than talk about yeah. these thoughts that they have because except if they're out with their buddies you know and then it's a given mm -hmm. you know but it's it's a system right now there's a system that only works for a very small amount of people and i know people that it does work yeah, for. yeah. you know I've, I've met them and i've been even professional athletes you know as much of a bad reputation as they get and mostly deservedly there's a couple that you'll meet that it's like man monogamy is just perfect for you they're stoked their wife is stoked it's like that's the right system and great you know i'm not saying it's the wrong system for everybody but i meet you know the other 90 or 95 percent of people where on a bell curve for some it's a little bit broken and for others it's just completely fucking mm -hmm, broken mm -hmm. and they're trying to shoehorn themselves in there mm -hmm. so i think being really honest with yourself and You'd be surprised, you know, what kind of agreements you can come up with. Mm, you know, uh, one of the, the things that never ceases to amaze me is how I'm looking at one of your testosterone supplements that's sitting in front of me. I, <laughs> I I've actually taken that one. It's, it's, it's a very good one. I've, I take quite a few different testosterone boosters and I've realized just how much Mud Boy is running the show because my thought processes are completely different an hour after I've taken a strong testosterone booster than they were 
before. Like yeah. literally it changes the way I think about things. It changes the way I look at women. It changes like, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, um, I didn't have a girlfriend at the time and I was working out a lot and I was on a lot of these supplements and my testosterone level was really high. And then there was, there was some girl who had contacted me on Facebook and something and she was, she was in Japan and I started to think I should go to Japan. You know, I had like absolutely no reason to go to Japan at that time in my life. I didn't have the money to do it. And I, and I realized just, wow, this circuit is really, really powerful. It would probably get me on a plane and fly me out to Japan. You know, right. I realized I've got to get a grip on this thing. Right. Um, so, yeah, it is. I mean, there's so much there's so much to it and they're, they're very powerful drives. And it's um, it's a really cool perspective you've given me. Um, it's, again, it's just we're, we're all trying to figure it out. So maybe next time I'll give you something interesting. Yeah, no, no doubt. It's It's helpful for me to even you know kind of talk about it and i've had to do a lot of thinking on that you know mm -hmm. like what is the real thing that i'm missing because it's never the it's never the sex because i mean the sex is good but it's that's not the thing it's there's something else that's there and i think for everybody finding out what that thing is that you're really looking for is good but i'm also you know there is also something to that kind of primal experience that is valuable in its own right and if you haven't gotten enough of that and you're not scratching that itch you know i mean there's almost like two, i almost see two energy sources which are pleasurable you know there's the source that you could call the light you know and the light energy and that's you know that feeling you get after a good meditation or that a cleaning out of ayahuasca where mm -hmm. the universe looks beautiful and you're grateful and thankful to be alive and just want to give back to humanity and mm -hmm. feel you know the energy coming in every breath that you take and then there's that other where you're just fucking standing in a nightclub and you got bottles and women and it's just like, I am a fucking killer right now, yeah. you know, and you're a little bit drunk and, and that energy is just pounding through the speakers and you can feel it, you know, pulsing through you and you feel like you can do fucking anything in that moment. Uh -huh. Well, it's not necessarily the healthiest energy, but yeah, it feels good. And it's part of our it's birthright. Part of the to, experience, right? It's part of our experience to feel some of that, mm -hmm. you know, or, or that feeling like, you know, when, when Chuck Liddell knocked out Tito and he just fucking throws his arms back. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> you know, like that feeling. That is part of the universe experiencing That's itself it. as well. It's got That's a, it, you know, yeah. and there's some, there's some value to that. And the key is just to make sure that you're not doing it in a way that's hurting other mm -hmm. people. That's actually one of the, one of the ways I've been able to rationalize. Um, one of the things I've struggled with my whole life is like the, just seeing how much suffering there is in the world, you know, and just, um, I, I asked a, a friend of mine, a very intelligent woman, she's, she's quite a, I'd say she's a mystic. And I once asked her, what's your opinion? Why is this um, the case? Like, why, why is that the way the world is? And she said that um, the source is trying to gather information. You know, that's what it does. It's like, it's, it's just trying to get, gather information from experience, as much experience as possible. And suffering is actually a very, very dense source of information. And um, that's why it uses it. That's why there is all of this misery and fear and anguish on this planet. And part of me like accepts that as, well, that's what helps me sleep at night. That's one of the explanations that I kind of think might have some uh, yeah. truth to it. I, I think there's something to that. I mean, pure suffering is is, an, is real sadness. You know, is is in its way, own way a beautiful part of the human experience as mm -hmm. well. And of course, there's some sufferings that you know seem over the top. Yeah. Um, but when I asked, I had an opportunity to speak on ayahuasca with what felt like I was speaking with Source, 
And I asked Source about that. I said, well, what about evil? And unapologetically, Source responded that evil was simply the consequence of free will. Like you cannot have one without the other. Mm -hmm. Either you make everything and you're just on a train track looking at all the shit that's happening and it's all good. And But if you allow free will to take its course, suffering is the inevitable re result of that. Interesting. Like you cannot divorce the two. You cannot create a world with free will that does not have suffering or evil. It's impossible. Well, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, dude. Um, <laughs> kind of feels like I've just drunk ayahuasca sitting here talking to you. But, um, well, yeah, that's really illuminating. Thank you for that, Aubrey. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So, man. so um, probably the last thing I'd just like to discuss with you. I know you're mm -hmm. a very busy guy. Is um, business. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've known about Onnit for a long time. Uh, back when I was involved with London Real, we um, were affiliates for your part for Alpha Brain at one mm -hmm. point. Um, and I actually have two businesses which are, I'd say, in the fledgling stage, are just starting to take off and uh, have a business partner. And we still run our businesses out of his house. And, uh, you know, when you invited me to come down to Honored Headquarters today, I, I was expecting this to be pretty cool. But, I mean, I got here and it just blew my mind. Um, I had no idea the scale of this operation. And I guess the question I'd like to ask you is, at the moment with business for me, even though my business is small, it's still incredibly difficult. I'm working incredibly hard, like at the point where working any harder than this and I, I don't even think it'll be worth it. You know, I don't want to live like that working yeah. nonstop. Um, my main question for you is, has the scale of problems and difficulties um, increased accordingly with the increase in the size of your business? Or is it kind of getting easier as you go along? Or can you just tell me a little bit about, about that journey? <laughs> Well, that's a that's a great question and not one that I usually get at the beginning. There's, you know, you're working your ass off because you're really trying to get momentum. Right. And that is a strain. But it's also there's a lot of excitement there in this creation process. And then there's lulls where it feels like you're pushing on this boulder with everything you got and just nothing's fucking moving and you don't understand it. And then you have doubts and things. So that's the real challenge of the start. <clears throat> And then once you get momentum going and start attracting other people, um, the workload doesn't necessarily decrease, but the positive, the, that kind of positive feedback starts to starts to refuel you and give you some more energy. So you've overcome the inertia, basically. You've overcome the inertia, and then you have some things rolling, and then you know, kind of that feedback loop helps. Eventually, you get to a point where you can. You know delegate a lot of the stuff that you're not good at that really wears you out mm -hmm. you know because there's a lot of stuff you're doing for your business that is something that somebody else could do mm -hmm. just as good mm -hmm. as you and so getting to that point is huge where you're only doing what you're really good at and that's that can be you know really help you as far as that day-to-day -day workload but with that comes the magnitude of of issues that you have to deal with in the fact that you're now responsible for, you know, a lot of other people's salary, a lot of other people's livelihood, and you're carrying a heavier weight on your shoulder, mm -hmm. even if you're not toiling as much. So it's almost like the the stress goes from your from your arms that are working to make everything work, and your actual sleep hours to this kind of weight that you carry constantly mm -hmm. on your shoulders and your head. You know, as the old saying goes, "Heavy wears the crown." Like yeah. the more you get to be king of your little business 
you know, the heavier that crown gets and the more you're kind of constantly looking for problems. How can something take us out? What are the risks here? And, and where, that where can, do you be, draw that the can line? be exhausting. Like, I mean, because think if you extrapolate that out and think of the amazing amount of pressure or how heavy the crown is for Richard Branson or sure. Larry Ellis or it's like, I mean, do you want to do you want to get to that level or is there a level where you're going to be like, OK, this is heavy enough. I'm going to stick right here. I think it becomes internal work and I think it's it's a work of releasing attachment, you know, and releasing yourself from responsibility, you know, understanding that, you know, you're doing the best you can for all the people you're, you're supporting. If if something goes wrong and if you've at least done your best, you've done your best. And so release yourself from that responsibility and then release yourself from the attachment. You know, I mean, I've had to actively do that. You know, because the fear of losing on it is beyond just the, the monetary <clears throat> thing and even beyond what I'm able to do positively for the world. Because there's other ways I can do that. I could write mm -hmm. books. I can continue the podcast. I could do other things. Um, really, a lot of that, you know, when I tracked it and I had to actively track it, the medicine helps, is the attachment to Aubrey, CEO of Onnit. You know, that's become a part of me, mm -hmm. you know, and to be okay with, you know, just Aubrey is important so richard branson has to be okay with hey i'm okay being just richard you know not richard ceo of virgin mobile and virgin and whatever mm -hmm. other virgin things that he has <laughs> but just being you know just being richard and and i think that's the key is just constantly cleaning off your attachments so not being attached to either outcome or anything that you've built up and that really releases the stress um but it's it's not easy you know i mean i i was in a there's a lot of pros and cons though i mean i think it's the greatest you know fulfillment of the journey that i could you know i'm living the dream as mm -hmm. you said you know as you're walking through there you're living the dream and hearing you say it you know i know it's true it, even though it doesn't always feel like that to me because mm -hmm. my dream comes with a lot of stress yeah. and a lot of responsibilities but it is the fucking dream yeah. you know and i wouldn't change it i wouldn't have it any other way i love what i'm doing i love the company i love the opportunities but yeah, you know, there's periods where I'm really, really super down. And what's even worse is I'll look around and be like, everything is perfect. And I'm sad. Like, how dare you be sad? What's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. And so it's like it creates even guilt upon these moments of when you get worn out. Um, but all of it's just a fucking process. Mm -hmm. you know? Well, just part of the ride. It's part of the ride. So it just shifts. So I guess the answer, the long roundabout answer to your question is it just shifts. You're in the part right now where it's really about an immense amount of sweat because you're doing all the jobs because you mm -hmm. don't have enough money to pay for other people to do the shit. So it's just about fucking sweat and momentum. And then there'll come a point where you get to delegate. Your actual work product will get more fun, but the stress will get higher. Mm -hmm. And then it's about managing that stress. So. Cool. Well, it sounds like a lot to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, but fuck, man, this is it. You know, like, this uh, is it. <laughs> then, but the other way, I mean, I had it the other way. I worked for somebody. You know, yeah. uh, well, I had my own company, but really I was everybody else's, you know, I was working for other people. Yeah, I get it. And, uh, <laughs> and that's, can be a nightmare too. Yeah. Because then, you know, you put your heart into something and somebody else goes, no, nah, that's bullshit. And you're like, it's not. I fucking put everything I had in this little work. And like, no, nah, we're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's just crushing, you know, or you get, you know, you get terminated or you get, and it just feels like this betrayal, you know, and it's like, I remember that happened to me. I mean, I got, I got fired from, you know, fired from this position where I was killing it. I was doing an amazing job. And, and then it sent me in this funk where I was like, what the fuck am I even doing? You know, if I'm going to be able to put all this 
into something and nobody's going to appreciate it. Why am I even trying? You know, and it, so there's all of these other things that come from working from someone else that you don't have to deal with. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you're putting it anything you really, truly want to do. Mm-hmm. You let it out there and you're free to, you're the to test of your, your metal. Ship, right? Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, I'd, I'd take that any day. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's the benefit of it. That's that's what's worth yeah. the price that you pay. Cool, man. Well, Aubrey, you have blown my mind on many levels. I <laughs> well, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. I mean, not a lot of times can someone get in and access new channels of information and stuff on, on this podcast. As so. I said, I've had it on my mind for a long time. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's that, been loaded man. up for a while. I appreciate that. Yeah. We're going to have to do this more often. For sure, man. For sure. For sure. So where do you live currently most of the time? So the funny thing with me is... Um, I don't actually live anywhere. I'm just traveling the world. I've been on the road for 18 months, just traveling around, teaching jiu-jitsu, hanging out wherever wherever it takes me. Yeah. Um, I run my business from uh, a computer because most of my stuff's online. And uh, so there's nowhere that's really home. But I'm thinking of moving out to the States. Met a cool girlfriend who's out in California. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of settling for a while. There's a lot of guys in that part of the world and in the States in general who I find um, I resonate a lot with. And just have a feeling that this is the place I'm supposed to be. So I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Well, your accent gets a premium out here right back <laughs> home. You know, it doesn't do you any good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my check always tells me that was one of the first things I got my foot in the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You get a premium yeah. for it. Well, cool, my friend. Thanks for stopping by. How can people keep up with you? So if you're a jiu-jitsu guy and you want to learn more about my stuff, just go to jujitsubrotherhood.com. And if you'd like to listen to the, co- uh, the podcast I co-host with Paul Moran, it's thejourneypodcast.com you can also find it on iTunes if you type in the journey podcast sweet all right everybody i'm out for the rest of the week but i will see you next week peace